Hi, I'm Jack Frimston. I'm Sarah Tabar, and you're listening to Who's Larry? We are on a hunt to find that metaphorical happy bloke who is always smiling, who goes by the name of Larry. So if you've seen him, let us know. And if you've not seen him, then the best way to stay in touch and find out who he is is subscribe, like, and leave some lovely positive messages underneath. Is that how it works, Sarah? Absolutely. Saturday night at the movies... Oh, sorry to bar. It is a big one today, isn't it? It is a big one. We are joined by a Hollywood star, Oscar-nominated actress, Shohre Agdashlu, is joining us to tell us about happiness in Hollywood. She has starred in a whole range of movies from Star Trek to Jack's favourite, The Simpsons. She has been in The Simpsons. How amazing is that? And there's a little bit of a story behind how we got her on the show, isn't there? There is, but we can leave that for the end. We'll save that for the end. All right, here's the show. Shora Avdashlu, welcome to Who's Larry? It's a joy to have you on. How are you? Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great, working hard. I'm home away from home. I have been working for a couple of months now during the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm happy that I'm working. Yeah, I imagine it's a bit more exciting than staying at home. Absolutely. How is Larry? Well, that's what we're here to find out. We were having a conversation and we thought, who better to know what Larry's up to? Because Larry's definitely got to be a film lover and he loves the world of entertainment. And we've, we've delved deep into like the world of music and the world of food. And we thought... Who better than your lovely self to to show us who Larry is? Oh, thank you so much. My God, I'm I'm honoured. Humble. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I think to kick off, we're going to go way back. You started off acting in Iran in theatres and you're now globally known actress working in the US. So, you know, you've, you've travelled a long way <laughs> and you've gone from theatres to Oscar-nominated movies Could you highlight any of the key moments where you found happiness along that journey from Iran to the US where you are now? Sure, by all means. Uh, But I have to uh, first tell you that how much I love the slogan of the camel cigarettes. It says, you have come a long way, baby. (laughs) Every time I look at their ads, I'm like, oh my God, they're so right. (laughs) My best, um, I mean, my happiest of them all are the pivoting moments in my life. The very first one is my first audition in my career when I was 19 years old that I gave for the uh, renowned uh, Edward Bond's play, The Narrow Road to the Deep North. And I was uh, supposed to portray a British queen in his play. And uh, it was my first audition. The only thing, I didn't have a theatrical uh, education. I didn't know there are so many methods. And all I knew that I wanted to act and I was in love with acting. So it was the love of acting that took me there and not my theatrical background. So I went to the audition and there were 20 girls there my age. I looked at them and I I thought, hmm, no, I think I can do a better job. (laughs) I gave the audition and they asked me to go and wait in the waiting area. I was there for almost an hour and a half. In that hour and a half that took like years to me, I kept telling myself, woman, just pull yourself together and leave the place. They're not coming, most probably. Uh, Your audition has not been good enough. Go study theater, go study acting and do it some other time. 
But for some odd reasons, I decided to stay and see what's going to happen. Because the other half mm. of me was telling me, don't leave Shoye, stay and see what's going to happen. See the results. They may come and tell you, sorry, you're not, you know, uh, it. Or they may come and say, welcome to our project. So I, I waited. And then finally, uh, one of them came and uh, it, uh, the audition was at the drama workshop of Tehran that was uh, run by Abbas Nalbanian. He came in and he said, Shore, uh, they love your performance. The producers, director, and the other two actors that are well-known actors that are supposed to play the key roles in this play. They just loved your audition. But we had to wait to audition all the girls who'd come for this role. You're accepted. And he said, but the problem is that we want to start in two weeks. Do you think you can make it? And without even thinking, I just said, yes, of course I can make it. I, I will come. I will be here. What time would you like me to be here? Without even thinking that I was newly married and my ex-husband had already mapped out our honeymoon. We were supposed to go to Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, and then go to Geneva, have a taste of both worlds in the ancient world and the modern world. I was so happy that I, I just said, yes, yes, I'll be here in two weeks. <laughs> I flew home. I didn't walk home. I flew home. It was like 15 minutes walk from my home. And as uh, soon as I got home, I realized, oh my God, I should have asked. I am married now. I should have asked my husband <laughs> whether he agreed with me doing this. And I was bewildered, not knowing what to say, how to give him the news. He knew that I was going to do this audition. He came in, he looked at my face, and he said, okay, all right then, you are accepted. He knew that I was a good actor. And uh, I said, yes, but they want to start in two weeks. And he said, it's okay, sorry, we can postpone the honeymoon, but we cannot postpone Edward Bond's play, The Narrow Road to the Deep North. So that was lucky. He was okay with That it. was lucky. The <laughs> second one was when I was performing at the prestigious Shakespearean theatre, Almeida Theatre, portraying Bernardo Alba in the house of Bernardo Alba. Mm -hmm. Never thought, never thought I could put my foot on a British stage and portray such an important role in such an amazing play like House of Bernardo receiving amazing reviews from the British critics who we all know how hard it is to receive good reviews from them, let alone brilliant, amazing reviews from them. Usually actors claim that they don't like to read reviews, but I <laughs> love to read the reviews. It helps me a lot. If there's something that I can use, I would use. And if there's something that I don't feel like it's true or I, like, it cannot be helpful to my career, I would just forget about it. But mm. every night, every time these reviews came out, I was static reading them out loud. And once I did it at the backstage and our director said, well, sure, not everyone is happy with the reviews, so keep it to yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, but I have to, I have to <laughs> boast about it. I have to brag about it. But of Absolutely. course I stopped doing it. And the third time was, um, I mean, these are the pivoting moments of mm -hmm. my life. When I gave an audition for the legendary movie House of Sand and Fog, portraying Nadi Behrani, after the audition, I was almost scared, uh, mortified to look up into their eyes. Vadim Perman, the director, was there, 
and the two producers and the casting director and a cameraman. And when I finished the audition, I was just uh, looking down, didn't have the guts to look them in the eyes. And then the director started applauding. By the impairment. And he said, welcome aboard, Sawyer. And I was like, in heaven, cloud nine. I could have not believed it. At the bottom of my heart, I knew that I was right for this role, but I wasn't quite sure whether mm. we're going to get entangled with the problems of, is it a matter of orange or apple? Mm. That's why I was waiting to see what the reaction is going to be like. Mm. And he liked my audition so much that he added my audition to the behind the scenes on the DVD. And I've heard that they're now teaching it at two universities in the US. Oh, really? The film or the audition? Both. The audition, yeah, for acting classes. On, whilst on that movie, The House of Sand and Fog, did you, which went on um, to earn you an Oscar nomination, did you know or have any inkling at the point when you did the audition or when you started making the film, sort of how how big it would become? Usually, as an actor, you do know whether you're doing the right thing or not. I have a uh, friend who's a great actor and he uh, once he told me that every time he's not happy with his acting he gets neck ache <laughs> because <laughs> he knows he knows that no 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 this this wasn't uh, the way i wanted to perform this character yeah. or started in a wrong on a wrong note mm. but with this film this particular film since I had read the book beforehand, I knew that the film was going to go places. I, I was mm. sure about that. Not quite sure about myself because I had not started, you know, working on it. But when we started working on it, the more we, we, we filmed, the more I was sure that I would be nominated for something, if not the Oscars. And the, the, the funny thing is that there was a day that we were filming in downtown Los Angeles and all the, all the trailers were parked, hair, makeup, actors' trailers. And uh, I was standing by my trailer, smiling, thinking, my God, newspapers, magazines are going to talk about this film in headlines, big headlines saying masterpiece, House of Sand and Fog. <laughs> and then Vadim, wow. the Russian director, he was passing by. He looked at me and he said, what's the green for? Sorry. I said, Vadim, this film is going to go places and the headlines of newspapers and magazines would talk about this film and would mention this film. And he said, <laughs> the day, we were, the wow. day we were, I was nominated, I was first nominated for uh, the Independent Spirit Award. And then I was nominated for the Oscars. And I was nominated for a couple of awards. I won all of them except for the Oscars, which its nomination was the same as winning it, really. And uh, every time Vadim called me and said, you knew it was going to go, this film was going to go places. <laughs> I said, well, I told you when you asked me what the green was for, I told you what it was for. That's amazing. I think lo looking at some of your like your key happiest moments there, it feels like it's that acceptance of you know what you're doing is right and, and you know that like I'm right for this role or do, do you know what I mean? What I feel is, is something and people are going, we agree and, and it's kind of that acceptance of that. Do you still get the same buzz of happiness or has it kind of gone over time because it's obviously a career and although every day will be completely different for you, even in, even in that kind of world, 
So when you go for auditions now and people say, we love it, do you still get the same kind of buzz of happiness as you did back then on your first? Or is it a completely different kind of happiness now? Or has it become the norm? Is it just, okay, this is my life now? It never becomes the norm. It never <laughs> becomes the norm. Every moment, every, every, every film, every play has its own uh, destiny. I, I haven't been doing an audition after House of Sand and Fog. People just trust me. Producers <laughs> and studios just trust me and offer me a role. But every time I'm offered a meaningful, profound role, I, I feel the same happiness. It makes the child within me happy, thinking I'm still mm. relevant. I'm still, uh, you know, in connection with today's world. And that's why I'm still in demand. And nothing makes an actor more happy than feeling that the actors are still in demand and the actors are still capable mm. of portraying roles that the actors like, not what they just give her or, or ask her to do, but mm -hmm. uh, the roles that is appropriate for the actor. In other words, every mm. time I'm offered a role, it makes the child within me happy. And she starts uh, <laughs> cheering and she asks me to take <laughs> her to a park or, you know, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love that when, when you're talking about the child within and I think it, it's so important because that's what we all are we're all children that and, and the fact that you're pursuing your dream and, and they say if you find a job that you love you never work a day in your life so I absolutely love that I find it so fascinating speaking to people like yourself because obviously as a child when you when you first went for your first audition and, and things like that you would have dreamed of Hollywood because for for a young actress Hollywood is is kind of the end goal that is the dream and there must have been nights where you laid in bed and you dreamt about that Oscar nomination so did Hollywood bring because for so many people it doesn't bring that happiness and that success but you're you're somebody that has ticked all the boxes did it bring the success that you thought it would be and can you talk more about that kind of that child within who would have dreamt of that Oscar nomination and then years later it came true obviously in in a way you you said that that was going to be a goal of yours and you, you achieved it. Is it weird looking back and, and what kind of success and happiness did that bring? Well, my mother, God rest her soul, she was an avid reader and she was in love with Western literature. All my childhood, all I heard was Daphne, Emily, Charlotte, Jane. She meant Bronte's sisters and Jane Austen. <laughs> and she was truly a movie buff. No matter what, every week she and her sister had to see two or three films. Not only her love for movies, but also my father's love for theater exposed me to first Hollywood because my mother was in love with Hollywood's movies and theater, mostly Russian theater back in Iran. And that's, I guess, where it all started. That gave me a sort of hint that well, you, you too can be an actor in Hollywood. You too can act like uh, Bette Davis or Joan Crawford or, you know, all, all these the stars of Hollywood. And every time I watched their movies, especially Gone with the Wind, that made me tell my mother when I was 16 years old, we watched Gone with the Wind in the Caspian Sea. And uh, right in the interval, I turned to my mother and I said, this is it. I'm going to become an actress. And she said, not under our roof. Your father wants to send you to Germany to become a doctor. And I said, forget it. I'm going to be an actress. 
And uh, especially as a dreamy child that I was, I was thinking, my God, I could have done a great job portraying uh, like Natalie Wood in a girl with a suitcase. And I was sort of uh, rehearsing in my head as, uh, how would I have done this uh, film? How would I have portrayed this young woman who lives in her suitcase, literally speaking? I guess it was all either in my subliminal or, or whether I was aware of it consciously. It was all that made me tell a show host back in 1984 in Los Angeles when he asked me, why are you in Los Angeles? And I said, hmm, I'm here to win the Oscar. And when I was actually nominated for an Oscar, they called me from this radio station and they said, we have to have an interview with you and we want to air your interview that you did in 1984. And when we started the interview, they asked me how I felt and I said, well, I, I feel great. They said, do you think you're going to win? I said, I don't think I'm going to win because I'm not a veteran here. This is my first film. There are other actresses, brilliant actresses, mm -hmm. you know, Hollywood veterans. Uh, they're far more ahead of me than I am, regardless of the quality of our acting in our movies. But uh, I will win it one day. And they said, well, let us run your interview that you did in 1984. In other words, there is no limit yeah. in dreaming your future, in dreaming what you want to achieve in the future. And it's almost like, I feel like Jack's quite a strong believer in this as well. It's kind of manifesting those dreams. And, you know, if you really kind of believe in it, it, it can actually happen. And in your case, it actually has happened. I truly believe in it. Like, um, you know, the secret that suggests that whatever you mm. would like to do in the future, say it out loud so universe can hear you and bring it to you. I have done it, done it a couple of times and the universe response has always been positive. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. If, my mum says, if you don't have a dream, how are you going to have a dream come true? Wasn't that a famous song? If you don't have a dream, how are you going to... Exactly. That, it's it's so exactly. true. And, and it's like people who are sitting at home doing nothing and nagging about not being successful. Well, first you have to take a step and then see what's going to happen next. You can't achieve anything by being negative and uh, nagging all the time. So it's, it's, it, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. No. And you don't go from your first audition to an Oscar. There are so many steps in between. Absolutely. It's just going up a ladder, step by step by step by step. It may look, uh, it may sound uh, boring, like, oh, I have to wait. But there is nothing else. Every profession... Everything that you do in your life, there are steps to it, like nine steps. You need to take those steps in order to become successful. You have to have that patience. You have to have that patience, absolutely. Yeah. We've kind of mentioned the different areas of the kind of acting world that you've worked in. So you've covered theatre, you've done movies and you've done television as well. Do you gain different levels of happiness and joy from those different mediums, um, from working in those different mediums? For me, there is no difference because I act for the sake of acting, not, not the medium. Yeah. It won't make a difference whether a camera is there or not. And perhaps that's why I'm never interested in knowing where the camera is, whether it's a long shot or a medium shot or a close-up, because I act for the people who are on the set. Yeah. I get my energy from the people who are on the set. And it comes from theater, of mm -hmm. course. But uh, no matter what, I enjoy acting as much as I did when I was uh, 
a young girl, I was a teenager, I was seven, eight years old, and I used to act for my family in their parties. After they would have their lunch or dinner, they would say, now let's have some fun, call Shore. So she would uh, start, you know, acting for us. And I would mock each and every member of the family and they were laughing their hearts out. And I would get a certain satisfaction of, of knowing that, oh my God, I must have been doing the right thing because they're laughing, they're laughing their hearts out here. So it's really the acting part of, of it that gives me the satisfaction and makes me happy. Other than that, it, it really doesn't make a difference. Whether there's five people in the room, like your family or millions watching a film, for you, it, it doesn't make a difference and you still get the same. Get one the same. person would do. <laughs> one person will do. Well, one person. Sometimes I do it uh, to my husband and he says, stop acting. <laughs> like, but I love doing this. <laughs> it's their breath. It's their energy that gives me energy and makes me want to do more. Obviously, with, with acting and the, the career that you go into, it's it's no lie that obviously it comes with its its hardships and its rejections and things like that. So especially early on in your career, how would you say that you kind of coped with if, if there were any kind of struggles of, of being an actress? What did you do to remain motivated and, and positive and, and happy in those times? Because it can't have always been clean sailing. Well, to be honest with you, uh, one learns from rejections far more than successes. Mm. Mm -hmm. If I weren't rejected at the first place, I don't think I would have been made it all, uh, all the way through. I remember 32 years ago when I had started working in Los Angeles, I was doing Farsi plays with my husband. My husband, Hussein Tuzi, is an amazing Iranian playwright. And when we got married, I said, let's don't wait for the industry to invite us over. Let's do our plays. You write a play. We make our own group, which I jokingly called our Ingemar Bergman's group. And we do our plays for Parsi-speaking, uh, you know, people in uh, abroad in, in, the, in the U.S. and in the U.K., And in fact, we were very successful when we started. We took tours around Europe, Australia, Canada, and the US. With our first play, in two years, we managed to buy a house. So you can imagine how successful wow. we were. I was right by, by doing that, asking my husband to concentrate on our own Farsi-speaking plays, his plays. And uh, after two or three years, uh, my dear friend who was active in Hollywood, Iranian, Armenian, He said, you're wasting your time with Farsi-speaking plays, with your talent, you should start working in the industry. And I said, I don't have an agent and I don't know how to. And he said, my agent will send you to an audition. And I said, sure, if your agent can, can do this, I, I would love to try it out. So I went to the audition. Uh, my husband and I had only one car. So he took me there. He was waiting for me in the car. I went in. I took a few steps inside the room and all of a sudden the casting director said, oh, no, 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 no. We're looking for a downtrodden Middle Eastern woman. You're too beautiful for this role. <laughs> go home, go home. Oh. I was so offended thinking, woman, use your intelligence. Obviously, you don't have it. Otherwise, you would have thought, if this woman is a true actor, She can play a downtrodden Middle Eastern woman, according yeah. to your depiction of this role. But I was so angry. I sat in the car and told my husband, you know what? 
this industry is not ready for us. We're not exactly the girl next door or the boy next door. Let's just stop this and carry on doing what we're doing. For almost uh, 10 years, we kept doing, wow. uh, yeah, back to back, our, our Farsi speaking plays. And they were all successful, all sold out, no matter whereabouts in the world. Unbelievable. In the cold, in the heat, everywhere we went, our shows were, were sold wow. out weeks beforehand. What I'm trying to say is that being rejected is not bad at all. Sometimes it gives you a certain motivation, like, oh, you don't understand, woman. I'm a great actor and I'm going to prove it to you. Mm. But I'm not going to say which mm. film it was, but 10 years later, all of a sudden, to my dismay, uh, I had an offer for an audition for a movie. I looked at the name of the casting director and I noticed it's the same casting director. Uh, no way. My uh, response was to my agent, ask the casting director to use his her imagination and see if I can portray this doctor. Other, because I played doctors and professors before. Other than that, I don't do audition for these kind of films. I do audition for Queen Isabella from Spain, but yeah. not for these kind of films. And they came back with a very good <laughs> offer, financial <laughs> offer. <laughs> so I took I took my revenge finally. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Well deserved. And I guess doing even those experiences where you might get rejected, it's still putting yourself out there and people are still seeing what you are capable of. So even, you know, in that like similar to that example, later on down the line, you know, you'll pop into mind as the person who's perfect. For the so role. true. But what I have to add to this is that you really have to have a thick skin. You cannot do it with thin skin mm -hmm. because uh, you shouldn't take these rejections personally. It's, it's not about you. I would have not known that if I had not been a part of uh, auditioning the, the young man who portrayed my son in House of Sand and Fog. When I joined the board, the, the young boy was already casted, but he came in. We were at our first rehearsal, reading actually. Uh, he came in with his mother, who was in full hijab, and very lovely lady. I asked her uh, what her husband was doing, and she said, he's a preacher at, the, at a mosque in D.C. So I immediately went to the producers and I said, you have to have his father's consent on every page of the screenplay, because otherwise, later on, they're going to come and sue you for exposing the kid into nudity, tragedy, or stuff like that. Yeah. And when he asked, mm -hmm. when they asked his father, he said, no, I'm not going to sign. Because really, we really need to have their signature on every page. And uh, they had to just uh, uh, get rid of the, the young man mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. they had to audition for another one. And Vadim was very upset with me. Oh, you, you cost me a, an actor. Now you have to find one. I said, okay. I go to the Iranian you know, radio stations and TV stations and I would say, when we are making a movie in Hollywood, <laughs> we need a young man to portray this role. <laughs> 53 young men came to audition. Wow. But I swear to God, the moment Jonathan Atut, who did an amazing job in portraying this role, when he poked his head into the room and said, can I come in now? He was the last person. We both wow. knew it was him. And Vadim has, had asked me to read with him. He sat in front of me. We started reading. And uh, he did such an amazing job that I was thinking right in the middle of his audition, I was thinking, Oh my God, we found him. He's here. 
he's with us. I don't have to do any more, uh, you know, searching for this <laughs> actor. But uh, after he left, Vadim looked at me and he said, which one? And I said, Vadim, you know the answer. Why asking? Which one? I said, of course, Jonathan. Not until then, I would have known that when you're it, there is nothing that can turn into a barrier. When yeah. you're it and they want you and they take you and uh, they do anything and everything for you to be happy and do your best shine in your role. So if you if an actor is going for an audition is rejected, the actor shouldn't take it uh, mm. personally. It's not about him. It's about mm. it. Yeah. If you're it, there are no barriers. You'll get the role. If you're not it, that doesn't mean that you're not a good actor or a brilliant actor. Mm. It means that you're not right for the part, but you most certainly are the right for another part in another movie or another play. Mm -hmm. That's why one has to just mm. keep going and, uh, you know, punishing oneself, learning, uh, reading, and, uh, and be ready. When I started living in Los Angeles, I watched a lot of interviews with uh, successful actors. And uh, I heard it over and over again from each and every one of them saying, when the role was offered, I was there ready with my suitcase. And I'm thinking, what do they mean by saying that? It means that you work out every day, you take care of your body, you keep reading, you, you, you study history, because later on when you're supposed to portray Richard III, you should know what happened in that era. Mm -hmm. or, or Queen Isabella, my, one of my favorite roles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so be ready. Yeah. Don't be afraid of rejections. And just uh, keep going and keep doing the right thing that will take you where you want to be. Absolutely. That also sounds quite exhausting. <laughs> the having to know everything, you know, constantly, you know, keep up to date with the history and everything. <laughs> one at a time. All it takes is uh, to focus on what mm. you're doing. One of my favorite films is uh, Hurt Locker, Jeremy mm. Renner. When he's uh, diffusing a bomb in a, in a square where all the people are standing on the balconies with their cell phones, and you're thinking at any given moment, one of them may just push a number and the bomb will go into the air. Look at his face and his focusedness at that very moment. He's done an amazing job in portraying this role because all it takes for a bomb diffuser is to be focused. Mm -hmm. That's how an actor should be focused in everything that actor does. If you're reading, read it. Don't just follow the words. Mm. Read it thoroughly. If you're listening, listen. Don't hear stuff. Listen. Because it, this is one of the most important lessons in acting. I've seen actors who are waiting for the fellow actor to finish his line so they can start. <laughs> that doesn't work. Mm. Because you haven't been listening to him. You just heard him giving you the cue for you to start your line. Therefore, mm. that line that you're running is not going to come out right because you haven't been listening. That is like, I feel like in, in real life, people are always waiting for their turn to talk. We're, we're given two ears and one, one mouth for a reason. Like, it's, it's, you've, you've got a beautiful point there. That's why some debates don't get when anywhere because people don't listen to each other. They're there to say what they think or what they believe in. But if you focus on what the, the other person is saying, it may help you to take the conversation into a place that would be beneficial to the others who are listening to it. I totally agree. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Jack Frimston. I'm Sarah Tabar. And I absolutely love that episode. She is a brilliant woman. But it doesn't stop there. The fun does not end there, does it, Sarah Tabar? It doesn't. We will be bringing you more of our chat with Shaura next week in part two of the episode where we will delve deeper into the happiness that movies and theatre brings to both the actors like Shaura and the audience. So make sure you hit subscribe so you can hear the episode next week.